Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by the City of Sevierville, the East Coast's hottest, most affordable eco-travel destination for families, couples, and holiday weekends. If you want to relax, reconnect with nature, and have the time of your life, please check out visitsevierville.com. For more promotional offers, please visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. Also, don't forget to check out our contest section on our website for your chance to win one of our cool prizes. For more information, please visit www.theorganicview.com forward slash contest. Memories are a priceless treasure that will last forever if they are shared. Our country's history must be preserved if younger generations are to learn and grow. On today's show, Vietnam War veteran Mr. Don Campbell will be my guest to talk about an amazing collection of memorabilia at the Tennessee Aviation Museum in beautiful Sevierville. So I'd like to welcome to the show, Mr. Don Campbell. Thank you. Mr. Campbell, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and also about your service to our great country? Well, I'm uh, basically, I was born and raised in uh, southwestern Ohio on a farm. Parents were modest means. Uh, was good enough in baseball to get a scholarship to the local university, attended the Air Force ROTC there, and entered the Air Force as a pilot in 1958. Served 21 years in the, in the Air Force as a pilot and also as an educator teacher, and had one year of combat in, uh, in Vietnam in 1969. 21 years, I retired from the Air Force and taught uh, high school out in Las Vegas. In fact, taught Air Force Junior ROTC for 12 years, moved back to the old family farm in Ohio for a few years, and it was a little bit chilly. So my wife is from uh, eastern Tennessee, and she talked me into coming down here and looking at the area, and we moved down here in uh, 1994 and have been down here ever since and uh, just love it. Thank you. Can you talk about the Tennessee Aviation Museum? Why was it created? Well, I think uh, it was probably Neil's idea. He, for several years, collected warbirds. And I speak of Neil. I'm talking to uh, Neil Melton, uh, the museum owner and airplane owner. And uh, he uh, actually was uh, able to retire fairly early due to some very hard work in the theater and entertainment industry. And he had several warbirds in storage in the local area. And uh, at some point, I think in the late 90s, Neil and his wife Rhonda decided to share their uh, remarkable warbird collection with the public. And after a couple of years of construction, the Tennessee Museum of Aviation opened in uh, 2001. What are some of the exhibits that you enjoy the most? Well, I think probably the airplanes is uh, uh, what I uh, enjoy the most. Of course, uh, 
We have a lot of exhibits that uh, explore early aviation history that are on display inside uh, the museum exhibit area. We have artifacts from uh, early aviation, uh, WW1, WW2, the Korean War, and Vietnam. But when it comes to some of my favorites, uh, I enjoy the the airplanes uh, most of all. We've got uh, several flying uh, airplanes. We've got two P-47 Thunderbolts from uh, World War II that fly and uh, do air shows and uh, reunions and uh, other aviation-related activities. And we've got a very special airplane in a uh, an A-1 Sky Raider from Korea and uh, Vietnam. It is actually uh, one of the two remaining A1Hs that actually fly, so it's it's very very rare. Neil flies at several air shows and reunions. In fact, we had a reunion here not too long ago in early May, where uh, some of the uh, A1 pilots that flew our particular Sky Raider, its number is uh, 665, they flew it in the Vietnam War, and the so-called secret war that went on over in Laos and Cambodia that not a lot of people knew about. But they flew it there, and when Neil put on some demonstrations and made low passes with it, you could see some uh, some tears start to well up in some of the eyes. So I think the Sky Raider is probably my favorite exhibit in the museum. How does it feel as a veteran to look at these planes, to see them function again, especially when Neil takes them up in the air? Well, uh, I've always loved airplanes, especially older uh, World War One and Two airplanes. I love the sounds of their engines. I love to uh, watch them make low passes in front of a you know of a crowd. It just does something to you as a pilot. Even though I flew jets during my career, I can still relate with some of those aviators from the past. It's just a real thrill for me to uh, be able to be associated with the museum and play with these airplanes and get to do some of the things and participate in the local air shows that we do here. Have a really good time. When other veterans come to visit, what are some of their responses? Oh, you know, the veterans are the ones that I really like to uh, show around and tour in the uh, in the museum. We get guys from World War II, even though they're in their 90s, and then, of course, veterans from Korea and Vietnam. They show a lot of interest. Some of them have even participated with some of the different types of airplanes that we have on display, and it brings back a lot of memories and stories. They'll tell stories that, uh, you know, just that they're spellbound listening to them. It's one of the really nice parts of being a tour guide and showing people around uh, the museum is uh, to relate with these veterans and uh, hear their stories. Uh, We're losing a lot of the WW2 guys. There's not too many of them around, but we still get a few of them in. And, of course, we got two P-47 Thunderbolts that served during World War II, and some of them uh, worked on these airplanes. And periodically we've had uh, an older pilot that actually flew the Thunderbolt during WW2, and I enjoy the the veterans. Uh, Of course, being a veteran myself, I can relate. Could you share with our listeners one of the stories that just struck you the most? Well, a lot of things happen at the museum as people come and go. We do a lot of tours for uh, high schools, junior high schools, and I think one of the most touching things that I've had happen to me out there was a Bible school class. 
of kids from around oh, 06 to 09. And last summer, I was touring a group of these kids around. And at the end of the tour, uh, this shy little girl came up. She was probably, oh, seven or eight years old. She came up to me uh, and asked if I was a veteran. And I said, yes. And then she asked, did you fight in a war? And I said, yes, since I had served in Vietnam. And this little kid hugged my leg, and then she said in a very small voice, thank you. And boy, if that wasn't touching, uh, you know, that kind of got to me that day. But I enjoy those little kids and uh, enjoy the senior citizen groups, the high school groups. Sometimes our generation that is in uh, high school right now uh, don't show an awful lot of interest in uh, in the past, which kind of bothers me to a little bit. But we do everything we can at the museum to get them interested in the past and what happened uh to keep our country free, there's a lot of people uh, that have served for freedom, and uh, as future generations, uh, we've got to maintain a strong military. Uh, personally, I don't see world peace happening in the future, and we may be required to make some sacrifices in the name of freedom as, as we continue. When it comes to preserving history for these future generations, what do you hope that parents and young people that are listening can learn from visiting the museum as well as even just connecting with you directly and learning about our history? Well, I think one of the things that the the museum does for uh, anybody that comes to see it is maybe for the first time a lot of these younger generation type individuals are being exposed to, you know, actually see and touch things from the past that have uh, been involved to keep our freedom. And they may learn a little bit about it in uh, school and history. They may be on the Internet, maybe uh, watching a documentary once in a while or something like that. But it's still really tough to relate actually what uh, was involved as far as some of our exhibits go. We've got airplanes that were actually there. We've got uh, memorabilia and exhibits in uh, in our uh, exhibit halls that uh, actually show aviation uh, step back in time, and they can actually see, view, and in some places touch it, and hopefully they can relate a little bit more to what happened back then so that we may walk around in a free country where they may not have had the opportunity to uh, uh, see something like this before. And so hopefully, you know, we do some good in that respect. You have quite a collection of memorabilia that recognizes the bravery of Brigadier General James H. Doolittle. Could you share with our listeners, especially our younger listeners who are not familiar with him, why this collection is so incredibly important for our history's preservation? Well, uh, kids uh, today kind of have a little trouble relating with uh, Pearl Harbor, but uh, December 7, 1941, when the Japanese attacked us in uh, in Hawaii at Pearl Harbor, and we were devastated, and of course the country was very depressed at the time. And six months later, after uh, several months of training, Jimmy Doolittle and some other pilots were able to proceed on a aircraft carrier named the Hornet out into the Pacific towards Japan to try and make a secret uh a low-level bombing mission against Japan. In April 
they launched these airplanes, B-25s, off of the aircraft carrier, the Hornet, in bad weather conditions, and it was a one-way type mission where they would have to land in China if everything went well. And they made it off, they went over Japan, they dropped a few bombs, they had to launch a little early because they were detected, so uh, most of them ran out of gas and either crash-landed in China, a couple went down in the uh, uh, Russian peninsula over there, and several of them went down in the sea. And even though the bomb damage that they did to the country of Japan was not very uh, extensive, it did a lot for the morale of the American people back in our country who were you know, somewhat down after we were bombed in uh, Hawaii. But now we had responded. Jimmy Doolittle led this raid. He became a hero, and it really excited the people in America to, to get behind the war effort. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, people were being drafted. Uh, women uh, went to work in uh, aircraft factories and other factories to support the war. And uh, Jimmy Doolittle was a hero and the leader of that mission. So, uh, He's one of the great guys from uh, WW2. We lost him a few years ago, but there are still a couple of the two little raiders that are still living. They're, uh, of course, our, our heroes to everybody, especially in our generation. You have quite a collection at the museum that is devoted to his honor. Could you share with our listeners about some of the collection? Well, we do have a replica of his Medal of Honor. We've got a uh, a nice photo of Jimmy Doolittle that is uh, also signed by many of the members that uh, went on that mission. Uh, we've got a uh, really nice model of a B-25. It was the aircraft that he flew off of the carrier of the Hornet, and this is all in a special display area kind of in the middle. It's one of the, the highlights of the museum. There's also another display about the four chaplains that I personally thought was just amazing. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about this exhibit? Well, this is probably something that uh, most most Americans don't know about, but with most uh, military units that went into combat, we did have chaplains, religious people that uh, went with the troops, held services, and, of course, uh, they were there in combat and did uh, uh, help with the medics, and also if a person was uh, fatally wounded, we'd give last rites and uh, comfort them as much as possible. And we have a lot of uh, chaplains uh, material that was used, even uh, down to a small portable organ that is kind of folded up. It can be extended, and like uh, to have a Sunday service, these guys could set up out in front lines with the troops. They got the material for communions, and these chaplains, they served on the front lines, and they were a very vital part of uh, the American military, and uh, we've got some really nice displays of the chaplain stuff uh, in our museum. Women also played a very big role in all the wars, as you've mentioned previously. Can you talk about some of the memorabilia that recognizes the contribution that women have made? Well, we've got some great displays of what women have done in our museum and, of course, the ones that I'm really uh, quite interested in. They didn't fly combat in any of our wars, 
but they served as uh, transport pilots. They would ferry airplanes from the factories after the airplanes were assembled and built, test the airplanes a bit, fly them uh, to uh, uh, forwarding stages so they could be used in combat. They don't get the recognition that they really deserve, but uh, actually women were a very, very vital part of WW2 and Korean and Vietnam. And of course now, as you know, and most of our listeners out there would know that women have equal uh, rights with uh, anybody flying in the military. They fly fighters, they fly for the Thunderbirds or demonstration team. But besides the women that flew, the women that that worked in the factories and uh, built the tanks, the jeeps and the airplanes, they uh, did a lot for the war effort during WW2 and, uh, and later. Very, very proud of them. The museum has such an amazing collection of different types of memorabilia. Where were these collections obtained, and how long did it take to build up this collection? Well, I think probably uh, when the word got out that Neil and Rhonda were going to uh, establish a uh, Tennessee Museum of Aviation, there are hundreds of people out there that have items relating to either their service their grandparents' service, their great-grandparents' service, and they've been laying around their house, uh, maybe in storage for years and years and years. We have numerous items. Almost all the items are donated, and some of them are on loan where, you know, a person will loan it to us uh, for display, and they may want to have it back later. All the items are are donated and and loaned to us. And they come from uh, individuals once in a while uh, from uh, an industry or a factory that built things that were related to aviation uh, during the war. You would be amazed, uh, and it's constant today, where people will bring stuff in and donate it to the museum. I'm sure we've got a good supply in some of our... uh, storage areas of items that you know are waiting to be displayed and that's one of the nice things about our museum the exhibits do change periodically so like if you visited two years ago and you came back today you may see some items on display that weren't there uh, two years ago when you were there most of them are from individuals and from companies and in fact i've donated some things from my service most of volunteers who are uh, Senior citizens and have prior military service have some stuff stuck in their closet that they donate to the museum. You'd be amazed at the amount of stuff is out there. For me, when I visited the museum, I was particularly struck by the Korean display. My late father had served in the Korean War, and it was a subject that he never spoke about. To have the opportunity to see something that my dad had experienced was really profound for me. The fact that you have so many different types of items that veterans and their families can view and know that it's preserved is really just so incredibly important. So I I just want to acknowledge that. Another display that you feature is the Norden bomb site. Could you share with our listeners exactly why this was so important during World War II? Well, the Norton bombsite was uh, an invention by the U.S. Before the Norton bombsite came along, it was hard to get accurate bombing from our bombers because the B-17 and B-24s during World War II would have to fly at a high altitude. To be accurate, uh, you know, you needed some kind of a sighting device to put your bombs on target. 
and the Norton bombsight uh, was invented during World War II, and it came in where we had a bombardier in each of the major bombers, and uh, as they would cross into enemy territory, they could use this bombsight for very accurate bombing. It would take into account the wind directions and the, how many airplanes were in the formation, and uh, it got to the point where the, the Norton bombsight was one of the things during World War II that was invented that uh, probably uh, hastened the war, uh, made it a little shorter. And uh, we've got one of them in our museum. And it was used on uh, mostly B-17 and B-24s during WW2 and used in both the European theater and in the Pacific theater. One of the amazing things that I found about the museum was the opportunity to actually go inside some of the planes. Can you share with the listeners some of the details about some of the planes that are featured and why it's important that some of these planes are still left operable? Well, one of the key things that we have at our museum is where the kids or anybody that uh, actually can fit into a, an A4 jet cockpit. This is a Navy fighter, and we have a cockpit of an A4 that you can climb into, sit down in the seat, move the uh, stick around uh, like you were flying the airplane, push the throttle up to where you would go uh, five, six hundred miles an hour, look at all the switches that the, the pilots had to deal with. It's got the... Uh, gun sight on it where it was electrical and of course we don't have electricity hooked up but uh, where uh, you could show the individual sitting in the seat where a little dot would appear he could maneuver the stick around on the top of the stick was a, a little trigger where he could get behind the bad guy and uh, show him how uh, combat was actually flowing and uh, kids especially just eat this up in fact last summer I toured a guy that was 94 years old and he was able to climb into that cockpit we got some pictures of him he was able to see what it was like even at the age of 94 but that is great attraction for uh, for young people and of course the other airplanes that fly people or individuals don't actually sit in those but they get to see them up close and if they happen to be there on the right day one of our airplanes may be out on the ramp uh, running up or may be doing a check flight after an annual inspection or something like that so besides the A4 cockpit where you can sit in there's a possibility if you happen to be there on the right day you can see one of our warbirds flying I also thought it was kind of interesting to see one of the helicopters, the rescue copters, where you could see the actual bullet holes still intact. Yes, we got a, an H-43 that was that actually used in, the, in Vietnam. It was one of what we call the war curses over there where it was used a lot. And it does have some bullet holes in it that are... You can actually see, and you can see other little patches where patches have been made over bullet holes. And if you could get down and look underneath it, there are several more bullet holes where it was being shot at, of course, from the ground, and it was in the air, so the bullet holes are in the bottom. But uh, we've left it in that kind of condition so a person can actually see what a helicopter went through uh, during the Vietnam War when it was exposed to hostile fire. Pretty interesting. Mr. Campbell, can you talk about the wind tunnel fan? I thought that was also quite an amazing exhibit. Well, yeah, we were actually able to obtain some of the big blades from a wind tunnel. And, of course, wind tunnels, most people realize, were used to simulate 
air rushing over an aircraft or even an automobile. And uh, so you could learn a lot from a particular airplane by blowing air over it. But some of these wind tunnels were huge. And as uh, you may remember just looking at the fans, and those fans that were just half the entire wooden propeller. It's amazing how these things would operate, blow wind over it, and you could tell airplane was working in the air you could move the controls around and rather than testing it with a pilot in it you could test it inside of a wind tunnel and get a lot of information on how it was going to react and we were lucky enough to get some of these huge fans from a wind tunnel another feature is a mock mess hall i thought that was really really interesting it gives you the feeling of what the mess hall was like why is that something that was important for the museum to put up that mess hall was actually just down the road at another place in, in Tennessee and was actually uh, used during World War II to serve the troops' meals. And it was being torn down, and it looked like it was going to be disposed of. And Neil and some of the volunteers were actually uh, able to go down, disassemble this particular mess hall, and then bring it back, put part of it up in the museum, and then... An artist did a, uh, a drawing in the background to show uh, people actually in it. And so you got to get the feeling from looking at the outside of this front of the missile that you were actually there during World War II getting ready to have a meal. And it's just another part of what went on when uh, we were at war. And this is one of the ways that uh, we show that the troops were fed and well taken care of. Well, I think it's important, especially for younger people that perhaps might eat alone or, I mean, this in day and age where people are not even eating together as families, to understand how people work together as a team, especially when facing some very, very difficult enemies. Yes, in fact. You know, being in a fighter squadron in Vietnam, the camaraderie that you develop with your fellows that are doing the same thing, and of course during World War II, Korea and Vietnam, people were exposed to hostile fire a lot. And so, uh, you know, the people that you worked with and you fought with, you ate with and you prayed with every day, uh, these people became really, really good friends. And even today, there are squadron reunions and organizations that get together from WW2, from Korea and Vietnam. I belong to a couple groups that we have reunions periodically. And you develop a bond with your buddies from that era. And I think it was primarily because of some of the dangers that you faced. You were away from home and you were with some friends. This bond continues even after you get out of the service. And it's great to get together with some of the old guys from 1969. Just get together and chat. Talk about old times. That'll probably go on forever. Well, I certainly hope so, and I certainly hope that more people, especially families and teachers, visit the museum and visit you for that matter. Now, as we all consider the future, we've got to remember those that have fallen in the past and what they did for us. We have a lot of those items at our museum, airplanes and exhibits, and uh, we kind of think it's one of the gems in the Smoky Mountains, and uh, we're always glad to show people around, and uh, we're very proud of it. Mr. Campbell, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today, and more importantly, thank you for your service to our country. Well, thank you, and uh, I was glad to do it for you. And, folks, please visit the Tennessee Museum of Aviation. Their website is www. 
tnairmuseum.com and the information along with a lot of pictures that I personally took while visiting the museum will be available on theorganicview.com in the companion article with this interview as well as in our photo section on the website which is available at the top of the website. Once again, thank you for being on the show, sir. And folks, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon, everyone. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.